From KLIN Radio and the Lincoln Independent Business Association, this is the Lincoln Business Beat, a weekly summary of news affecting area business and a review of interesting topics and issues. I'm Mark Vale, glad to have you joining us today. Lincoln Business Beat is made possible by the 1890 Initiative. Visit 1890nebraska.com where 100% of your donation goes directly to Husker student-athletes. Well, Bud's out for this edition of the Lincoln Business Beat, so we're welcoming in former city councilman with NAI FMA Realty, Richard McGinnis. Richard, glad to have you on the Lincoln Business Beat. You've got a lot of history in this town. I sure do. Thanks, Mark, for having me on. Well, the as we record this, we're in that, I guess, sweet spot between a public hearing and the council adopting a revision that was proposed by the mayor's office on the city budget. Now, you were on the city council when this biennium budget was initially put together, and there's been a lot of uh, conversation about the proposal here at the midpoint to keep uh, 18, uh, roughly about 8 million of, uh, what, six, about 14 to 16 million that would be available because of property valuation increases. That wasn't really anticipated, was it, during that first, uh, when you were all putting it together? Just kind of go through that whole process with us. Okay, Mark. Uh, basically, yeah, a year ago, this time we were looking at a two-year biennial budget. And so we were proposing, we were focusing mostly on the 22-23 uh, year because that was the immediate year coming up. But we also, now that we do a two-year budget, uh, we also put in uh, numbers for the 23-24. At that time, we were expecting the, uh, I call it the abstract, the value of the city of Lincoln in property values to be about a 5-6% increase. And so when we plugged in numbers for property tax increase, we plugged in about an $8 million increase into the property taxes for the 23-24, this upcoming year. Since then, the county assessor had gone in, revalued uh, the, the abstract, the value of the city of Lincoln, and it came in at about a 22-23% increase. And that's on average. Yes, that's an average. And we know that many apartment buildings and multifamilies have increased in the range from 30 to 50%. So we're seeing a large increase in those values. So that means more money is available to the city, but doesn't mean that they have to spend it. Uh, they don't have to take it uh, if they stick with their old uh, budget numbers. Is that uh, is that a good way to describe it? That's a great way to describe it. What we did, what I did before I left the city council, is I tried to put a, a, a resolution forward basically stating that we would just follow our $8 million increase in property taxes uh, as we had budgeted the year before. Um, I got one fellow council person to agree with me and six or five others to disagree. And I think that kind of set the stage that they felt like they needed more property tax funds than what was budgeted at the time. Well, the increase uh, in the budget that the mayor has put forward is about $8 million from what I understand, at least that's projecting. They're going to do a levy reduction uh, for $6 million, and it's it's easy to say, see, we're, we're reducing your taxes, but that's not the that's not the end game when your valuations go up and you reduce the levy uh, at a different level. Right. We, uh, we had an $8 million increase in property taxes. 
And that's what we budgeted in our two-year budget. And the mayor came in and amended this second of the two years and added another $8.7 million for a total of a $16.7 million increase in property taxes. That's a huge percentage in in the one in the second year of that budget. She also is uh, proposing some additional spending. Is that correct? Well, you basically cannot propose to take property tax without having an offset in spending. So you have to budget for that property tax increase. So they've gone ahead and budgeted a lot. Um, this is my opinion. I just think that they did they missed the boat a little bit by not putting one penny more into infrastructure. Out of the eight million extra that they're taking, none of it's going to infrastructure. That's a big issue, especially Very big. streets, mm-hmm. uh, other infrastructure. Part of the money going, as I understand it, though, to uh, public safety, specifically to uh, I think a new a negotiation agreement with the firefighters. But then there's also an increase in the HR department, in the mayor's office. That one's gotten some pushback from some people. Yes, our HR department has grown significantly under this mayor um, in numbers of employees. So adding another HR person, and long story, but I'll try to make it longer, uh, the the, uh, uh, city council, back when this was all happening on our last budget, we were trying to put money into recruiting for police and fire. And we wanted the police and fire to have this recruiting money. Well, we got some pushback from the police department. They said they didn't need the extra money for for hiring, and we thought it'd be going to fairs uh, and going to schools and and being an outreach program. Well, the mayor decided, I guess, in this budget to put it in the HR department, and they're going to go ahead and hire another recruiting specialist. Uh, according to uh, stats that we reviewed last week here on Lincoln Business Beat, the mayor's office budget since she took office up thirty four point five percent. And that was before, I believe, this increase in this position. So we're, we're looking in that 35% plus uh, increase in just the mayor's office in the, what, coming up on six years, at, uh, five years that she's five been years. in office. Yeah. That's a pretty significant increase for one department of a city, isn't it? Yeah, it, it can be. But we've had a lot of uh, salary increases. And most of that are upper-end salaries uh, that work in the mayor's office. So... Um, people needed to get increases in their salaries. So I'm not totally too concerned about that. Um, so I, why would, why do you think infrastructure was not included in this, uh, additional 8.7 million infrastructure in this city is, is used. The funds used for infrastructure has always been extra tax money. Um, you got the federal highway funds that come in. You have a wheel tax fund that comes in. You have property taxes on your vehicles that come in. Um, And now we have our sales tax funds. What has happened that has been interesting over the years is a lot of that money that was being taxed extra, I presume, like a wheel tax or the sales tax, money is being, the sales tax, they can't really use it. But the wheel tax They've been siphoning it off for other items that were in the general budget, uh, I would say, eight, ten years ago. They were always paid for by the general budget. Um, lighting for the streets. Um, actually, the whole engineering department for LTU now is paid for with federal highway and wheel tax money. Uh, it's None of it's paid out of the general fund. 
So there's some ways they've been siphoning street money to help pay for the general fund over these many years. And I think it's time that we start putting money back into the infrastructure. And then doing something with it. <laughs> Don't just put the money in, put the money to work on streets and, and infrastructure as well. Uh, you don't have to drive uh, too far to know that uh, we could have some better streets in parts of the community. It's uh, it's kind of challenging. Uh, one other question that I have for you on this budget process is uh, back, I think, even before you were on the council, the mayor and Congressman Fellers at the time uh, put forth an effort to streamline the budget process and make it more transparent. Uh, that did not happen. I don't remember exactly why. But the transparency of the budget process and finding and tracking that on the finance department's website is a bit challenging for some of the best people that I know that can get through this. Uh, how tough is it for the council sitting in, in the decision-making uh, position that they are? How tough is it for them to get information, understand this process, and then uh, act accordingly? Um it's pretty tough. I, what we've, what's happened over the years is the city council has just waited for the mayor and the finance department to put a budget together, and then they send it to you and say, here's what it is. You, you've really never been part of the ongoing discussions of putting the budget together. And then even here at the last, uh, this last uh, biennium that's coming up, the mayor didn't even release numbers, and it was, you couldn't get any numbers prior to the mayor releasing them. Um, I talked to some city council members, and then none of them were even access to any of the numbers prior to the mayor doing her press release and releasing it. So trying to be part, the city council or even the community, to be part of putting a budget together is not there. And I know the finance department has talked about putting together a better website access to a lot of their funds um, right now you can't go in and get even to see how much cash the city has on hand you can't uh, you would have to go in through the finance department ask permission and then they'll send it to you uh, there's no way for the general public just to get online now the finance department would like to change that county has that a little bit with open.gov and they're a lot easier to get information out of so i think the city eventually will get there, but I think it just needs to, people need to make it aware to them. When you talk about uh, the, the funds that uh, city departments have, do they collect uh, or are they able to uh, keep funds uh, year over year if they have not uh, spent those funds and, and create kind of a uh, recurring uh, fund? And if so, is that a significant amount of money? Uh, yes, it is. I've gotten the cash balances of statements over the years from our city and you're right. A lot of these funds are able, a lot of these different departments are able to keep their funds in there, and it helps them for year after year. And where they come up with excess funds a lot is you budget it. Let's say you're budgeting in a department for five employees, and one goes away, and you're hiring another one. But for six months, you don't have to pay that uh, wage, and so that becomes excess money for you, and you get a keep it in your fund. That was, and it's still the, the way things are done. The only one who really didn't allow that was uh, Mike Johans. He went in there and um, took a lot of the funds out of the departments that didn't need them and used it to help uh, balance the budget. And we had low property taxes during those times because he would use the excess cash. 
And right now, we have a lot of excess cash on hand. Interesting uh, discussion here. Uh, the city council uh, takes this up on Monday the 21st. Any prediction on whether it'll pass as presented? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll pass. I, there really hasn't been a lot of discussion amongst the city council members about any other changes. They all feel like the city has a lot of needs and that uh, they feel like this is a pretty good budget to do that. All right. In our second half, we're going to talk about the business climate here because you have deep roots in the uh, business community here in Lincoln, and we want to do a deep dive with you and, and uh, what you see uh, coming from, uh, forward, uh, going forward, that is, uh, in the Lincoln business community. We'll be back with Richard McGinnis, our uh, guest co-host on this week's edition of the Lincoln Business Beat. Husker fans, you've probably heard about NIL, name, image, likeness, and now you can have an immediate impact on the success of those programs. The 1890 Initiative is Nebraska's premier NIL company, and with your help, we can maximize our student-athletes' opportunities with NIL and prepare them for life after college. Nebraska's always been a leader in college athletics. Let's do the same with NIL. To learn more, visit 1890nebraska.com, where 100% of your donation goes directly to Husker student-athletes. That's 1890nebraska.com. Back on the Lincoln Business Beat with our guest host, uh, Richard McGinnis. Uh, we talked a little bit about some of the funds, uh, excess funds, uh, that the city has on uh, on file, I guess, so to speak. They've got them in different accounts. But let's just talk uh, real briefly before we go into our deep dive on the general business in, in the area. Uh, you picked up some numbers on the general fund excess funds. What were those and how they changed over the last few years? Yeah, what I've noticed over the last few years is the city's general fund uh, balance has increased significantly. And, it, you know, some people will say it could have been the ARPA, the American Rescue Plan, and those, and it isn't. This is just true general fund money that was collected uh, with property tax and that's sitting in the fund. Currently, that fund is at $104 million. $104 million. Correct. That's sitting in the general fund money that they could use to help with property tax. As of last year, it was only $81 million. So it's grown almost $23 million. Right up 50%. There. Yeah. From 80 to one, well, not quite, one about 20%. Yeah. And then if you wanted to go far back in the in twenty twenty, the number was like twenty two million. Wow! So, so we've we, there's a lot of money there that could be used for for certain things uh, and not necessarily raise taxes. Right. And the total funds available in their cash balances has just gone up significantly, and I think they could be using some of that, especially for infrastructure, would be outstanding. Let's talk about uh, a little bit about the general business climate in the Lincoln Lancaster County area. You've been a part of this uh, business community for a long, long time. NAI FMA Realty, I believe, is uh, one of the uh, larger uh, commercial real estate. Uh, what what all does NAI FMA uh, handle? Uh, is it just commercial real estate, or what are all the services that you offer? <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, NAI FMA Realty uh, is a commercial real estate firm, and we handle... Uh, sales, leasing of commercial property. It can be industrial, retail, uh, apartments, investment properties, um, offices, and uh, even raw land 
and mostly it's land to be developed for commercial purposes is what we're involved in. We also do a large amount of uh, management. Uh, we've got a large uh, maintenance group that's really good, and they go around. We probably manage by far the most square footage in the downtown area and the most square footage in the city of Lincoln for a lot of these bigger uh, buildings around. So we do a lot of that. Uh, so between management, sales, and leasing, uh, we're kept pretty busy. We've got a staff of about 50. And then you have some uh, ties into the global uh, market as well. Uh, how does that work? Yeah. Well, NAI, we're affiliate of NAI. So we're not a partner. They don't own us. We don't have any ownership with them. But we're affiliate with uh, other NAI companies, commercial real estate companies. There's Robert Lynn in Dallas. We're well connected in most of the larger cities. But we're really connected in a lot of what I call secondary and tertiary cities around the country. Because these are places that the big guys in Chicago and New York, they don't want to go visit. If they want to have to go sell a state farm on the corner of 84th and O in Lincoln, they don't want to go there. They would much rather stay in New York, and they would come to us and let us handle the local part of that. So, so that's how that works. And, and then, uh, yes, I've... I'm very aware of some of your maintenance uh, crews that go out and take care of buildings that uh, you manage for other owners, investors, and they are uh, right there on the spot. Uh, I can tell you that from personal experience as as well. But in that in this role, you've been doing this how many years now? Thirty-one. So you've seen growth and you've seen th- things change in this city, probably from a perspective that not a lot of us uh, have. So let's let's <laughs> tap into some of that. Maybe do a little historical uh, visit here on things that have happened in those 31 years. Let's take a, a look downtown in, in some of the areas. Uh, 30 years ago, the Haymarket as we know it now, uh, the Telegraph District didn't exist as we know it now. How has this city changed in, in its approach to commercial real estate and development? For downtown, it's changed a lot. The TIF financing has made a lot of difference. One of our first TIF projects in the city, well, one was the embassy suites, and the other one was the um, theaters. It was a large TIF project because they had to take over half a block and and bury some power lines through the and stuff. And they used all their most of the, if not all their TIF money for the sidewalks, burying lines, and city projects. And that was the way TIF was designed to handle things the city would need to do to make that project and utilities, services, uh, infrastructure, those type of things. And so that's how that started with the TIF projects. And those have, have uh, gone on for and still uh, available to some developers. Yes, right? they are. And it's really helped a lot. It recently, it's pretty much turned over to being a fund that the uh, developer can come and ask for. And again, TIF is just the amount that they receive up front will be paid back through property tax increases over 15 years. There's been a lot of uh, development in that uh, downtown corridor, uh, new construction here in the last few years. How? What's the relationship between this type of new construction projects and then remodel or refurbish some areas? I, I've never t- quite understood how that meshes or how it all comes together. Well, there's two ways. One, if the site itself uh, and the building itself lends itself to being redeveloped. There are certain buildings that really didn't lend themselves to be redeveloped. Uh, Take the south half of the Golds Block. 
that was going to be redeveloped, and they were trying to work that into housing. But it was a big, open department store. And so when you do housing, you want windows, you want smaller corridors. And so the, the size of the building and how you're going to redevelop it, redevelop it is makes all the difference in the world. You look at the corner of uh, 11th and O, the old LES building. It was a little smaller building, and they were able to convert that into apartments and keep that building the way it is. And, of course, we've seen that Pershing was not able to be converted at all, so it's uh, in the process of coming down. But that's been a long process, too. Yeah, that really has. And there were some people that were looking at trying to convert it maybe to an indoor farmer's market. Uh, somebody even had a great idea. Let's make it a large uh, tank of water and put sea creatures in there, sea <laughs> animals, and have it as a uh, tourist attraction and put it all plexiglass. So you could see the whales and the sharks and everybody swimming around. That didn't go over very well. Well, uh, we do have the Nebraska Navy, though, that we could, uh, uh, you know, put on the, the waters there. But this, all of this has given you a perspective for where we are right now in the city and probably even in the county. But what's your crystal ball looking like? What's the, what's the atmosphere and the environment for continued growth or for development of these types of projects in the city? There will be a slowdown. And what we're seeing is the cost of money and the cost of construction. They both merged at the same time, and it's really made some of these projects unaffordable at the current time. Uh, a lot of them are still moving forward. They'd like to do it, but they just can't make those numbers work right now. There's quite a few housing projects and other projects downtown that would probably go if we would have had the lower interest rates and the lower construction costs. They're still on the table, so I still think they may show up again. Um, for downtown, I think one of the game changers will be where they try to put a convention center because that will change that area of downtown. Um, the South 13th and N Street area, I call it. It used to be the financial district growing up. It was where all the banks were and everything. That's gotten pretty quiet, and people haven't really moved back in, especially on the street level down there, which is what shows the activity is having people on the street level. He's still seeing pretty good uh, activity on P Street, which is where the students come in from the university. and But even there, you've seen some restaurants pull out and not backfill. Um, that's mostly because the lack of the um, lack of employees downtown for the lunch hours. Well, the expansion, or do you think the expansion of student housing into the, the, some of those areas as, as the growth, will that change the dynamics of, of the possibility of more businesses in those areas surviving? Could. It could. Uh, I've noticed a little bit, even this year, you seem to see more students walking around prior to the university starting. So you can tell that they're starting to live and work and play down in that area. I just have a little funny feeling, and this is just my opinion, so we won't take it that far. But as we concentrate so hard on doing residential in downtown, we're losing the office uh, people. And there are some offices that have asked and were involved in a lot of the leasing that they they're no longer feel like they're welcome downtown they're taking away on street parking they want to do more bike lanes they've got to make it more friendly for pedestrians and they're saying well we it's not that friendly for our customers and our clients to come visit us downtown so to get the activity and that like it used to be in downtown heck i remembered when i first started i had to go downtown over the lunch hour with one of the brokers and have business cards because you would walk around and run into people that are going to lunch. 
And they were all the people that do deals in downtown Lincoln. All the lawyers, attorneys were all down there. From an office perspective, uh, the uh, pandemic uh, created quite an issue from work at home. That's starting to come back a little in some areas, uh, not in others. I guess it depends a little bit on the business and the business uh, mindset. What what are you seeing in that area? We're seeing them come back, mostly the professional offices. You'll see the attorneys, uh, the accountants, and the people that do professional work will are starting to return in force. Um, and what we're hearing is a lot of employees like it. They like coming back down. Where you're not going to see a large return is in the service area, the customer service area where someone sits on the phone and takes phone calls from around the country. Um, they don't need to be downtown, and they're just sitting in their cubicle or their desk anyway. So those you want, but the lawyers, accountants, uh, engineers, all them will want to be still coming together. Richard McGinnis uh, is our guest uh, co-host today on the Lincoln Business Beat. want to revert back because I thought of it earlier and forgot it, and now I remembered it again. And you were talking about the cost of construction and and all that's built into that. There was recently a change in uh, city uh, regulations uh, that are increasing, uh, at least according to what we've been told, increasing costs for product of uh, construction in certain areas because of the floodplains and, and the decision by the city to have uh, supersede or, or super put on steroids the requirements of the federal government. You were uh, on the council when this whole process started. How big a factor has that been and how big will it be and what are the domino effects? The I was against going ahead and, and exceeding the federal regulations by over doubling the federal regulations for the floodplain. What we're going to start seeing is as we try to redevelop South Haymarket, you won't be able to. Um, there's all some talk about a couple buildings they've been trying to rehab and make them a, a new, put offices on first floor, apartments on second floor. Can't work uh, with the new floodplain regulations and trying to floodproof these old buildings in South Haymarket. It's going to be a real chore. Uh, so we're going to have a lot of problems South Haymarket. Where else I'm going to see, I think we'll see a problem is, uh, is lower income housing as you go down south, uh, south of the Haymarket area, down there uh, on Park and, and down that area. You're going to see people not rehabbing their housing. That's always been an affordable housing area for the city of Lincoln. Um, it's basically telling them you can't rehab your building. You're going to have to move out or Raise your home. Go ahead and raise your home up another two feet, which is not costly. So I think what what really is going to hurt a lot of bit is either the downtown area or the um, South Haymarket area is going to be hurt the most for affordable housing. And that's a big. Uh, that's a word that gets thrown out a lot. Affordable housing. Uh, you, certain construction projects have to have certain percentages of affordable housing. Um, this seems like a dichotomy to me. <laughs> you got it. Oh, boy. So. No. And going forward, I, I don't know if it's going to hurt greenfield sites, people that are going to go out and, and buy some ground from the farmer and develop it. I don't think they can kind of plan for it, but it's people that are already inside that. It's going to devalue their homes to a point or their housing or their uh, businesses to a point that they might as well just move out and tear them down. Interesting. Interesting. What else are you seeing? Yeah, we're seeing, I see the business climate in Lincoln staying pretty fairly steady. 
I think most people have jobs, so they're able to afford. There's going to be increase. Uh, our property taxes are going to go up significantly, and the ones that it's going to hurt is going to be the apartment renters and the lower-income people because they're going to see the largest increase. We also increase uh, water rates. We've been increasing electrical rates. We've been increasing a lot to make this town less and less affordable. And the problem, when and one other thing I'd like to say real quick, one of the problems we have with affordable housing is we have a lack of of housing lots to build on, and the city is not putting any infrastructure in the ground, which is what you need the sewer and the water to reach some of these areas. And um, I think that's going to continue in Lincoln. Let me uh, broach one other area that, that we really are just in the, the very infancy stage of, and that's now with the South Beltway completed, uh, all of the challenges of growth in that area. What are you seeing there? Well, again, there's, uh, there's a need to put a um, sanitary sewer out to Saltillo or out to the South Freeway. And um, the city has said that we can't afford to do that. We don't have the money to do that. So they're asking the developers to go ahead and help fund this, uh, help fund it, basically fund the whole thing. That will make all the lots out there very expensive. And they haven't been able, they're going to need a coalition to make it work. They haven't been able to reach it. So I just think that the city needs to go ahead and put infrastructure in where the people want to grow and build and spend their money. And they're they're pretty slow on that. So the South Freeway will continue to be kind of out there. The school will be out there on its own for a while. Um, I think, I don't know, I don't see a whole lot of businesses moving out that way. We do have some good luck out in the corner of Saltillo and Highway 77 out there. The old Saltillo office park that's out there, Rod's Outdoor Power right. and those, that seems to have done real well. So people want to be out there, but that's the only place that they can build at this time. Well, it'll be interesting to watch this growth over the next uh, few years as uh, as we move forward uh, or up, depending on the, if the project's down. Down, a lot of it's going up. Yes. That's that's uh, one of the things that has really popped up here in the last few years, these high-rises. We, uh, we always told people downtown that if you're buying this lot, you can go 250 feet into the air. Nobody cared. They said, well, we just want to build a four-story office building. We don't care about the height. Or if you go, you know, a block over, you're now in the capital environs, you can only go 75 feet high. So we were telling people that have the 250-foot high, let's say, lots, your lot's worth more than the one next door. And nobody cared about it for last 20 years and until the last five or 10 years. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's looking at those height. Where, how high can you build on that lot? And the values change. You did mention uh, the possibility of a convention center in that uh, Haymarket or the North Haymarket between, I guess, Memorial Stadium and, and the railroad tracks, Amtrak Station, down in the post office area, PBA area. Uh, what do you see as the possibility of, of a convention center in that area coming to fruition, and what would that mean for that area? Uh, for the downtown or for the Haymarket area, the north of the PBA area, I, um, it would be big. I mean, they'd still they'd still need a, a few more motels or hotel space down there. What they need is full-service hotels because a convention center would require full-service hotels. Um, that wouldn't be a bad area, um, and I think it would be big for that area. I think the area that it would help the most is if they build it there next to the Cornhusker Hotel on K&L Street. 
right over there and next to the state office building, the Capitol, and use a lot of the state services over there because that area, you know, south of O Street on 13th Street uh, can use some help. little anemic area. Yeah. There, but so. there's a lot of people that still work and live down there. So anything else from the perspective of business, uh, city budget, uh, an open segment here with Richard McGinnis? Yeah. Um, no, that Lincoln's doing well. I think their economy is doing well. Uh, that's why probably a lot of people aren't paying a whole lot of attention to the budget or to other expenses going up. And so I think Lincoln's on the right track. Uh, I think we'll keep moving forward. Um, we are going to see some things come on that we're not that we kind of used as a growth was this uh, Lincoln Benefit Life, the State Farm growth, the Cabela's growth. A lot of the, all those businesses are basically going away. Dell uh, Technologies was out at the Innovation Campus, um, Tech Park, and they were pulled out. So we're seeing a lot of the large employers like that pull back in. These are national employers, and they're all pulling back. So we're going to see a lot of that. That may slow our growth for a while. You've seen it in LPS a little bit. They're only seeing a couple hundred new students. Um, but we'll, we'll, we can handle it we can uh, we're pretty agile as a city we can move pretty quickly and that's the good thing we float with the ebb and flow yes all right thanks richard appreciate you being in here for bud uh, this week on the lincoln business beat thank you richard mcginnis our guest host uh, today uh, this has been the lincoln business beat from the lincoln independent business association and klim radio along with uh, richard mcginnis i'm mark vale lincoln business beat is made possible by the 1890 initiative Visit 1890nebraska.com where 100% of your donation goes directly to Husker student-athletes.